0: What's up? It's a special episode of Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. We had an amazing event today at Bash Boxing in Arlington, Virginia with our group, Humans Not Hashtags. It was really cool. The Bash family is just an amazing group of people, and I'm really fortunate that they hosted us and appreciative of all of them. Uh, we're going to play the panel basically unedited, uh, just chopped a little bit for time other than that and, and clarity, but other than that, here was our panel discussion. All the panelists will introduce themselves, so I don't want to over-talk in the intro. Uh, the first voice you will hear is Alex Trakas. She is the founder of Bash and is going to introduce me, but wanted to give you everything in context, so here we were, Sweat Talk Vote today in Arlington.
1: All right, welcome everybody. Can everybody hear me? All right, Bash team, thank you guys for being here. And thank you so much to um, Craig, Sean, Reggie, to the entire team at no- Humans on Hashtags for being here at Bash. So most of you guys know me, but if you do not, my name is Alex Trachis. I'm one of the co-founders and owners of Bash Boxing. Um, and I just wanted to do a quick introduction. So when we set out to build this place, the only word that I cared to Carry next to bash other than boxing was inclusive. It was super important to me that that word went hand in hand with coming into bash. So no matter your skin color, race, religion, sexual orientation, or just if you felt kind of like a misfit, you felt home and family here. So as we know, it's been a really, really intense couple of months. And that's putting it super lightly. And if it's been intense for me, for anyone that looks like me, I've had the conversations, and I'm pretty sure the people in this room have had the conversations that it's been three, four, 1,000 times more intense for our black, brown, and people of color friends. And for Monica Jones, who built this house with me, she's right there. <laughs> And for Coach LeCadre Dre, who's up here on our panel today, who built the six core punches and so much more that is in this brand, it's really important for me to note that this summer we had some really hard conversations. But that's what we do here at Bash. We take on the hard stuff, we lean on each other, and we grow together. So when Craig came to me and wanted to do this event, I couldn't wait. I was like, let's do it, let's bring our family, our community together, let's bring the community from across the pond in D.C. with Reggie at Boombox, and I'm super excited to meet you, Sean. And let's talk, and then let's create change. Because I always say in this room, we gotta work really hard and bring all of our shit in here, because if we work hard in it in here, it gets a little bit easier every day to do it out there. So I'm really, really proud of this team for showing up today and for the members of our community that decided to sweat and then listen to us talk. Without further ado, here is Craig Hoffman. Um, He is going to lead us through what will be an incredible afternoon. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you, Alex. Uh, A couple of thank yous real quick as we get started, and then we actually go out of order for this event. It's called Sweat Talk Vote, but for uh, practical purposes, we're going to talk about voting first get it out of the way. So while I give my thank yous real quick, does everyone have their phone? If not, you will need it, so go grab it. Uh, First, foremost, I wanna thank Alex because when she, it's okay, I can tell you wonderful things about you later, you can go get your phone. Um, This won't be the last time. Uh, When I called Alex, she had no hesitation. And what she just said is extraordinarily true about this place. It's what makes this place a place that I love coming to. It's a place that I missed during quarantine. It's a place that I was starting to get to know right as quarantine really hit. Um, I had Alex on our podcast that we do, a fitness podcast that I do last December. And um, she's, honest to God, probably the favorite guest I've ever had on that show because she fits what we talk about on that podcast, that fitness is about more than just physical fitness. It's about mental health. It is about Building a community and a family through a common bond, which is also the genesis of this event. We just went through something together. Now we can have a hard conversation. That is, there's psychological research that says that says that's a good way to do that. Um, and so, Alex, thank you immensely for building this community and for letting us come have this conversation today. Um, Nick, I didn't know Nick at all before this process. Just said hi once or twice, being around. Um, this does not happen as smoothly as it did today without Nick. That, that dude is something else. Oh, he's hiding. It's like I did in his class last Wednesday. He's hiding back in the back. I felt drunk by the end because my heart rate wouldn't come down. It was terrible. And uh, last but not least, quick thank you, obviously, to our panelists, who I will thank immensely as we go. Uh, but uh, Momentus is a company, a protein company that I work with that has sponsored us in these events. I uh, hope you grabbed one of the shakes. It is a premium line, uh, and they... willing to give us their product for free because they support the cause. And they're an awesome company that I'm really happy to work with. If you want to know more about them, ask me afterwards, but I'm not going to get up here and give you a sales pitch. With that said, I need everyone right now to pull out their phones. And I would like for you to go to votesaveamerica.com. At votesaveamerica.com, there should be a very easy place for you to check your registration, fill out the information, and uh, let's make sure everybody's registered to vote. Because if not, we have some work to do. So I was just able to go through it. It says I'm registered. Everybody Good. Anybody get a surprise that they are not registered? Anybody not surprised that they are not registered? So, with that out of the way, now we can talk. Again, my name is Craig Uh, for a little further background on me. uh, If my voice sounds very familiar, uh, it's because I worked in radio in DC for the last five years uh, for 1067 The Fan, covering the Washington football team. Uh, Also, some of you were nodding when I talked about having Alex on the podcast. So, I host a podcast called The Train with the Best Podcast. Uh, my friend Chris Gores. Uh, it's a good time. I'm a trainer on the side, yada, yada, yada. The reason, though, that I am here doing this with Corey, uh, who I also want to introduce walking around with the camera, every DC fitness person's favorite photographer and videographer, with good reason. The man is amazing at what he does. And uh, Jason Vanterpool in the back there, uh, who runs F45 at U Street. So y'all can go see him and go through a boot camp where you'll do a lot of burpees. The reason I am here and a part of this group is because doing all the things in sports have left me very unfulfilled considering what is going on in the world. I think sports and fitness is a great way to bring people together and do more. And so this group has allowed me to take what I do as a storyteller in sports and expand that to humans that aren't in sports. And that's why I'm here. So what I would love for our panel to do is give, instead of me reading off a bio, um, I would love for you guys to introduce yourselves. And very simply, who are you and why are you here? And allow that kind of set set of circumstances where you get to define yourself be the start of, of our discussion today. Dre, I'm gonna make you start since you're the host.
2: What's up, everybody? So I'm Dre. I'm one of the instructors here at Bash Boxing, and one of the founding instructors, actually. I'm really excited to be here with all you guys. Really happy to see everyone, uh, whether it be our members, non-members, or the coaches. Uh, it's really cool to see everybody come together for such a positive event. Uh, a little bit about me. Um, like I said, I'm one of the founding coaches here. So I've been here for the past few years. I've seen Bash Rosalind and Bash Boston grow. Um, I can honestly say I'm really excited and really happy to be a part. Such a great community. Um, I don't. Got, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we have such a diverse group of people here. Whether it be our members or our coaches, I mean, we have people who are black, white, Asian. It doesn't matter. We love everyone here, and I'm just glad to be a part of this team. Um, we are doing some really positive work here, um, as far as obviously helping you guys get into great shape, but also doing a lot of community outreach stuff, um, especially once all the COVID crap happened and then all the police brutality, um, BASH has actually been on the forefront of a lot of these things. We've raised money for organizations. Um, we've just done a lot of positive stuff. And the main reason why I'm here is because obviously I love to coach boxing and strength and conditioning. Um, I love the community and I love you guys. So pretty much, I'm um, just excited to be here and, uh, ready to get this underway. Love it. <laughs> Reggie?
3: Good afternoon. Is on? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't I don't have that uh, voice projection that Dre does. <laughs> um, I'm Reggie Smith. I'm one of the co-founders of Boombox Boxing. Uh, we're based in D.C. in the Navy Yard. Uh, similar look and feel to this here. Um, slightly different vibe, but um, again, I think our message and our, our purpose is very similar to what What you guys do out here, uh, where we're trying to just empower people, build folks up. Uh, Our tagline is that we're all fighters, and whether you fight in the ring or not, like life is a fight. And we see parallels between boxing training, boxing, and life. And so uh, that's what we try to instill in in our um, in our community. And similar to what uh, Lex talked about, um, inclusion. And so you know she hit on all of the the obvious. ways that we may be different, but we try to be very inviting to even folks who aren't as fit. And so, um, you know, coming into a gym like this or, or any of these gyms can be kind of intimidating. And our whole pitch is that, hey, you know, boxing's for everybody. And wherever you are, we'll meet you at that level. Uh, come in, get stronger, get better. Uh, why, why I am here, um, Nick reached out on uh, Instagram. I'd never met him before. Um, and he, he said, hey, we're doing a, uh, we're doing a panel here. Uh, sweat talk vote um, talking about voting and talking about uh, racial issues that are going on right now and it was it was a no brainer and so I appreciate you reaching out to me, um, thinking of me, same with you, uh, lex as well um, and so i 'm happy to be here uh, and happy to share our story and, and hopefully we can we can talk to these things and and really um, connect and, and see each other um, in a different light and then take that knowledge and kind of spread it out amongst our own networks to kind of grow this vibe and this feel of inclusiveness. And so, thank you for having me. I I will shut up now and hand it over to the other
0: panelists. Thank you. Thanks, Reggie. Sean.
4: No, I was really hoping you'd continue because I'm sitting here just like trying to collect my thoughts.
0: Do we need another four email exchange for you to come up with another bio? (laughs) Sean was struggling and then wrote like the best bio I've ever seen in my my whole life. I was like, oh my god, you're awesome. So tell all the people what you wrote.
4: Um, hi, everyone. My name is Sean Chai. And by day, I am an account manager for a software as a service company. But I am also a Washington football team cheerleader. So previously Redskins cheerleader. I'm a third year vet on the team. Um, and the key thing that I realized even just being here and, and boxing the culture is I immediately thought about my team and my sisters and my girls and our director and it is we are the most diverse team in the country. And we proudly represent that. So to be able to, represent, um, to present, represent them, and we've been in a lot of news lately, it's just one of those things where I'm pretty honored and humbled to be, be on this panel because I obviously don't look like you guys. But I have my own story, and I have my own um, experiences. And whether they're at the forefront or in the back, I think that, to me, the reason why I'm here is I'm ready to have a tough conversation um and it all kind of comes together actually. F forty five U Street is my home and they are recent sponsors for the team. And Craig and I took boxing class on Wednesday, I got our ass beat by Nick. So Thanks, I Nick. have a little bit of boxing experience, had to ruffle that up, but yeah, I just wanna have a good, tough conversation today. So that's why well, I'm let's here. do it.
0: So the theme of this panel is outside the box. And I do want to say, like at the end, we're going to take a couple questions from you guys that we can chop up here on the panel. So if you have any of those that are related to any of these topics that we talk about or unrelated, just something that you would like to see a diverse group of people who have thought about these things discuss, by all means. And there may or may not be a gift if you ask a question. So that's nice. We're just enticing you. Uh, But the theme of this panel is outside the box. And when I started to plan this panel, Um, it was kind of right as the NBA was shutting down. Um, I myself now, as you might tell by the the shirt I'm wearing in the picture, I work for the Washington Spirit, which is uh, one of the best women's soccer teams in the world. Um, And so I was with our team out in the bubble in Utah, our bubble, and saw as our players took social justice stances, how people reacted to that. I myself, as someone who covered the NFL for a long time and then started talking about politics a lot on Twitter, have gotten a lot of backlash on that because I was willing to step outside the box that people knew me in. By the same token, we all up here, that's why I wanted to let you guys kind of define yourselves first, right? Most of you here know Dre more than any of the rest of us on this panel, but you know him in a very specific role. You know him as fitness coach Dre. So if someone sees Sean, they're probably like, oh, cheerleader. And that comes with a certain set of societal images, thoughts, connections that come to mind. Same thing, Reggie, okay, fighter, boxer. Okay, that, that's one thing, but he's got an investment banking background they didn't even touch on, right? So all of a sudden, like if you see an investment banker, you probably don't think of Reggie. You think of a really stiff-suited white guy, right? So there's all these boxes that we have created as a society. So my first question after that extremely long preamble is, how over the last four years, and specifically the last six months or so, since social justice has really become to the forefront. So I'm specifically four years, the Trump administration, into the last six months where social justice issues have become a forefront talking point for our country. Have you stepped outside of your box in the way people have perceived you? And how has that been reacted to positively or negatively? Andre, you can kick us off.
2: Okay, cool. Well, um, I'd say over the past four years, I've definitely become a lot more vocal, um, especially via social media. Um, We actually have a diversity council here at Bash Boxing, and we actually had our first meeting uh, about a month and a half ago, right Alex? I think so. Something like that. Yeah. So um, Nick and Monica headed it and pretty much had a similar discussion that we're having today. A lot of tough questions were being answered. And um, in that meeting, I disclosed, like, before I never was really comfortable sharing, like, my political views or views about, you know, stuff that's kind of hard to tackle um, with social media or just in general. Um, But since all this craziness has been going on, um, like I feel like it's my responsibility and my duty to kind of represent my background and try to make sure that I make life easier for those who are coming up behind me. Um, The big thing here is um, we want everybody to be treated equally here at Bash Boxing. We say we want to be all inclusive, but if you aren't really being vocal and taking action against injustice that's happening out in the world, then not doing anything pretty much says you're okay with that, and so for me, Um, I kind of took a look at that and took a step back and say, hey, even though I'm kind of a private person when it comes to that stuff, it's really important for me to really get my voice out there, really try to participate in a lot of uh, different fundraising activities and really just be vocal about all the things that I see are going wrong and try to make change and implement change. Um, Another thing that's been interesting for me is I'm not a very creative person when it comes to um, picking out organizations to donate to or causes to fight for. And so um, the organization bash that I worked for, they were really good at helping me find things um, and helping me apply my talents in order to be able to help raise money and help get my voice out there. So, um, I think overall it's been an interesting experience, like it sucks all the injustice that's been happening, but at the same time it's made a lot of people, including myself, feel a lot more empowered to really speak out and try to make a change and hopefully over time we'll be able to see, um, you know, progress happening. So, it's pretty much my perspective.
0: John or Reggie, either one of y'all want to?
2: Yeah, um, so I'd say, so Craig mentioned it. so
3: my day job, I'm an investment banker. I lived in New York for probably 16 years, moved down here to open Boombox, and I still do that by day. Um, so I've been doing it for a while, and you guys see me here, I've got this this beard on, right? And, and I actually had this beard in New York. Um, and so I've never shied away from being black. I was always, when, when I talk on the phone to clients, like there's no mistaking that I'm a black guy. Um, but Saying all that, uh, when I guess when the George Floyd thing happened, um, our company, so J.P. Morgan, um, you know, it kind of shocked the, the culture there, and there were a lot of discussions, and, and we had some discussions. And just to give you guys some perspective, in my department, um, I guess I'm the most senior Black person in my department, and um, I don't say that you know, kind of bragging, because there's tons of people. Way above me. Yeah, I was gonna um, ask to so give us an I,
0: idea, like where yeah, where so, you are on the hierarchy.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm not Jamie Diamond by any stretch, <laughs> um, but but no, I mean I've been in I've been in my department for a while, and I'm I'm looked to um, you know as a as a mentor whenever you know minority candidates come through there, they always connect them with me, et cetera, et cetera. But getting to the point, um, so we had some discussions, and um, one thing, you know, I don't bite my tongue, and so. In these discussions, I was very blunt about some of the uh, the things that, that occur in the bank that aren't necessarily um, overt and int- intentional, but the things that limit the potential or the opportunity for people like me to kind of progress and move up in the company. And uh, we had some very hard discussions um, that, you know, they probably would not have happened had none of this happened. Um, and I can't say that I've seen Substantial change yet, because no nobody's back in the office yet, and so it's kind of hard to to see what this looks like. But I am um, happy that we were able to have these discussions, and and uh, I got feedback from heads of the department, et cetera, et cetera, that they uh, that they valued my input, and they were surprised by some of my uh, conclusions and and uh, some of my um, what would you say? How do you call it? Uh, I guess how I how I've interpreted things or what I've seen in my time there. Um, so that's you know on the professional side. That's what I've done. Uh, obviously, um, personally, like I, as a black man, like I live. This is my this is my reality, right? And so, um, you know, I'm not shocked by by the things that have happened. Uh, I am encouraged by these discussions and being on panels like this and. And looking out and seeing, you know, all of you people, diverse group um, that don't look like me, but you're here to talk about these topics. And so uh, I want to thank you guys for coming out. commend you for coming out. Um, and I'll, I'll hand it over to, to Sean right there.
4: It's interesting to think about it four years ago and then zooming in on six months ago. Because four years ago, I was in a completely different place. I was in Boston still. and um, still in tech, but tech staffing. But I remember... Waking up and seeing Trump announced as a president, and I don't even know how I felt. I felt deflated, probably, is the first thing that I remember thinking, and just like thinking how. Um, to Craig's point, another thing that I didn't address is I immigrated to the States. I was six from the Philippines with my mom. So I am a byproduct of my mom's American dream. I live the American dream. And so Voting to me is so special because I remember the day my mom came home and she said, hey, we're citizens now, by the way. And I looked at her and I was like, what do you mean? And so being a citizen of this country, it was just something, like the, the, the ability to vote is so, like you don't realize the power of it until you don't have it and you don't exercise the right to do it. And so, for me, when Trump was indicted, I think it's so ironic that it's at the end of his term that all of these things are brought to light, right? Like, what is the timing? And so, these past six months have been really stark. Um, I've had really interesting conversations from a viewpoint of, like, as a brown minority in my corporate space. um, I've gotten used to being the only woman, let alone the only minority woman in a room full of white old tech dudes. It's gotten better over the years. I think it's progressed, but I've just gotten used to that skin, right? Um, But then I look at my team um, with, I'll just continue calling them Redskins, a Washington football team, it's a mouthful, Jesus. But I look at the team and I'm actually really proud. Like I said, there's been a lot of news, a lot of shit going on with the organization. You guys all know this probably. But our director has allowed us to have a voice we just did a YouTube um, video where I was able to speak on social justice. We're about to release it soon. And use our team and our brand to talk about it. And we really, we really addressed some things. I ended up crying. I usually end up crying because I'm emotional. But, Your goal for the panel. <laughs> um, but I, I've just been able to get into some interesting vulnerable spaces where I think people have been surprised about how I felt. I didn't think that I hid my political views or how I felt as like an immigrant, as a brown chick, but um, I've been a lot more vocal. And but it, come on, like how can you not be vocal when it's videoed? Before the difference was that we didn't have it on, like we didn't have it on our phones, but it's always existed. And that's the thing that breaks my heart: is that this shit's always been around. Now we just can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Please don't ignore it. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, For me, four years ago was really interesting. Um, I was with, uh, some of y'all might know, uh, Brandon Allen from Sweat, DC, uh, Mm. if you're in the DC fitness space. Um, I was at Brandon's house the night of the election, and um, Brandon's black. And I'm a lot more politically engaged than Brandon was, and even though I was the white guy and he was the black guy, I don't even know that he fully understood what was about to happen the next four years, because I think it's pretty easy day to day to not pay attention. And um, a lot of us can skate by on our privilege. A lot of us can skate by on the fact that we don't, it's really skating by on ignorance. It's skating by on not understanding how politicians create policy that affects our lives. And the easiest example I always use when people are like, I don't care about politicians, they don't affect me. I was like, well, do you like traffic lights? Because if we don't have, politics, and we don't have people making policy, there's no laws that say we have to have traffic lights, and then we all crash into each other. And that wouldn't be great, because a lot of people would die. And unfortunately, right now, we are looking at a pandemic response with no traffic lights. This stuff matters. And I think For me, what's been interesting, I'm jumping ahead a little bit to the next question, so I'll try to answer my first one, considering I asked it. Uh, But on on the positive and negative side of, of being in or outside the box, I was put in a position at work where I was specifically told, do not talk politics. We cannot afford people not listening to our radio station because they disagree with your political views. I was a reporter. My job was to cover the football team, and I was basically told, shut up. And I ate it. It was something where I said, you want to know what? Okay, I need this job. I'm not in a financial position. That's not a privilege I have where I could walk away. Um, I picked my spots when things were really egregious or they really affected me, which admittedly is selfish and somewhat resting on privilege. I would speak up. I'm Jewish, so uh, the massacre at the synagogue in Pittsburgh a couple years ago, I I had things to say about that. When Trump would be anti-Semitic, I picked my spots. Because I knew, like, that was me daring my boss to have the audacity to, to tell me to shut up in those situations. Um, but your card and variety everyday racism was a little harder for me to call out. But I made the decision to build my platform so that when I was ready, I could use it. And that's what the last six months has been. I left that job in February on my own. And obviously, things started to pop off. Uh, it was actually my 30th birthday. February 23rd was the day Ahmaud Arbery was shot. Um, and I wasn't holding back anymore and I've lost some of that audience but I think one of the really interesting things is who is mad at me and who is thanking me the Washington football team fan base is an extraordinarily diverse fan base there are a lot of white people in Loudoun County there's a lot of black people in PG County I hear a lot of thank yous from over there And I have a lot of unfollow, stick to sports over here. I'm cool with that. That to me says I'm on the right side of history. And so what I think I've come to realize in the last four years and and certainly six months is there is just going to be people who are not willing to see outside of themselves. But for me, I want to recognize my privilege and use it in a way that is good. I want to make it so that if I'm in a room with almost all white people and someone of color, and something that is said that is inappropriate, that they don't have to speak up and feel like they've isolated themselves. That either they can speak up, I don't need to speak for them. People of color have voices, and, so, and I'm always like, yes, please speak up. Like I'll give them the look, like, say the thing, and if someone just jump on you, I'm a, I'll, I'll pipe in if I have to. right? I want to empower, I want to lift voices. But I think that's what I've tried to do the last six months, especially is, and that's what this group, Humans Not Hashtags, has really been about, is elevating human stories to paint people in a full human perspective. And for, so for me, what that means is I'm a lot more than a sports reporter. I pay attention to politics. I've put a lot of work into understanding how they affect our lives. And I'm not going to let people slide on even little things because those little things add up. So that actually leads into our next question. We can go back down this way if we want. Let's put, instead of putting Dre on the spot first every time. I don't care. I'm like, Dre's like, I'm going to hit lead off. I'm going to clear the path. I'm going to lead the way. How has your understanding of public
2: policy changed in the last four years? Um, I think when it comes to doing the actual research, um, it's, it's enhanced my ability to do it. Where before, I didn't really, I can honestly say I didn't really care that much. Um, I was, one of the people that Craig mentioned earlier, I was just like, oh man, I don't care about politics, it's not something I'm strong with. Um, once you start seeing these things happen um, in your own communities or in other people's communities, and you start to see people affected who look like you, it makes you want to be a lot more active um, and it really makes you want to do a lot more research into not only who you're voting for for like presidential elections, but even smaller roles down to like local county um, officials. So I mean, I think it's really important for us to see these things happening and then as, again as, as unfortunate as it's been to see all this stuff happening, it empowers people to want to do more research to want to really empower themselves to, to to take the necessary steps to, to look up who they' are elected into certain positions and making sure that their views reflect the views and affect the change that you want to see happening and um, and then just being patient with the whole situation as well too just because you' were, uh, voted for the right person and you get elected doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change in a heartbeat I mean it's still processes and things that they have to go through, but at least, you know, you're making the necessary steps um, in order to make sure change happens the way that you would like to see it happen. Um, And so I think for me, it's just been um, a push in the right direction to make sure that, you know, I'm a lot more active um, when it comes to, you know, taking a look at who I want to vote for and um, you know, where I want my dollars spent and things of that sort. So um, I think that answered the question. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's, it's been a change,
3: but, um, I think the last year or so um nine months maybe have really highlighted uh the importance and dre mentioned of like local uh government and so you've seen how um the president has kind of passed the buck and and didn't want to implement things kind of nationwide and each state has their own policy like in virginia you guys don't wear masks when you work out we wear masks in dc and so you see the importance of that local Election. Now, the irony is that, um, and the funny thing is, you know, outside of Trump, typically the president doesn't have much impact on our daily lives. Um, you know, obviously Barack Obama had Obamacare, but generally speaking, their role is that of the CEO, and they kind of set the tone, but they're not really implementing things that touch us on a daily basis. It's the local um, government. Now the irony is that we spend so much time focusing on the presidential elections, and you hear all about their policies. And I walk around my neighborhood in D.C., and I see, you know, local councilmen, and they've got these signs up. I don't know what the hell their platform is and what they're thinking about. Um, But that has a greater impact on my daily life than the presidential, um, generally speaking. Um, Obviously, this is a a different case with Trump. Um, But saying all that... um, I'd say that just the importance of understanding like your state legislation uh, and the power that's held there and even thinking about the electoral college and the things that can be done in the next month or so to kind of ruin the outcome of, uh, of the election. Um, just kind of knowing all of that, it, it's, it's opened my eyes in the last six months of the dangers of um, not having things written out necessarily explicitly in the Constitution and things being open to interpretation um, that could lead us who the hell knows in the next month or so? Um, but that would be one of the changes, I'd say, um, I've, I've come
0: to grasp in the last year or so. Pop quiz for the room. Who knows their state delegate? I only know mine because I voted for him. Like I filled out my ballot like a couple days ago. His name's Ken Plum. He sent me a mailer. Thanks, Ken. But in the state of Virginia, um, we flipped the state, and by the way, uh, humans not hashtag officially endorses uh, the Democratic Party platform and Joe Biden for president. So uh, when I say we, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. Uh, I am not speaking for Bash or anybody else. And certainly, if you're here and you're not voting that way, like welcome. But uh, we Democrats uh, flipped the state house in Virginia in 2018, and that allowed for a Medicaid expansion, which got a lot of people health care. Right, that's a super important thing. There's all kinds of state and local policies from traffic lights and stop signs and who fixes the roads, to healthcare that are affected by people whose names we don't know. And so I think that's a great point, Reggie, that like we could all probably do a lot more research on our local... And yes, there is a current emergency in the White House that needs to be rectified between now and November 3rd. But... There's a lot more than that, and by the way, uh, down the street needs to be addressed as well uh, in the House and the Senate. But uh, Sean, if you wanna, you wanna pick up on the the last question.
4: No, I mean, I. It's interesting to hear that perspective in regards to the role of the president, because really to simplify it for me, I was passive before, admittedly. Um, it didn't affect my day to day, and I maybe not so much trusted, but. I was just focused on my, in my world. Obviously now it's a little different. Um, It's beyond financial or uh, monetary matters. And I don't necessarily trust what's going on where I probably did before. And now I, I say social media because I think that there are pros and cons with social media. I also recently watched A Social Dilemma on Netflix, so that's probably part of the reason why I'm a little like, oh my goodness. But I am interested, I'm fascinated with how social media has really broadcasted facts that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been, um, been created, because it's getting people, they're getting people where they know that they are, which is our phones. And so if I'm seeing these facts on my Instagram feed, I am educating myself. I also have to understand the source, right? But at least in that way, I think for me, I've gotten a little bit more active
3: in that. No doubt. Can I add something of real quick just to put a finer point on, on a comment I made earlier? So just thinking about, this goes back to like civics in high school, Like the, the system is set up to not let one person kind of railroad everything. And um, like while things weren't explicitly spelled out, like we've had a certain decorum that's prevailed for... However many years and, and we've got someone in here now that's pushing the envelope and it's not being resisted and so um, you know generally speaking like the president by himself can't really do a lot of shit but we're seeing now that, that we've got someone in there that's that's pushing the envelope and it's not being stopped um, and so that's when I say you know generally the president doesn't have that much of an impact it's, it's based on the view that like there's other checks and balances that keep you know, that person from, um, from doing those things. Yeah,
0: so I want to I expand on that because it's, it's a great point, and it hints at what I was just talking about with, like, the Senate and the House and, and all those things, right? So uh, the president likes to brag about how he has installed more judges than any president in history, right? Does anybody know why he's able to do that? <laughs> Serious question. If you do, like, so
3: it. So, um, so I believe... So there were a lot of open judge seats uh, when Obama left um, left office, and I think his intent was to leave them there for Hillary to fill. So, like nobody thought that Trump would win, and so you know he kind of left them there. Well, kind of. Yeah.
0: So Mitch McConnell, who is the Senate Majority Leader and a Republican and the worst human being that is in the district,
3: is that too? Yes.
0: Uh, he. <laughs> is the Senate Majority Leader as of 2018, or as of uh, 2016 when the Republicans took the Senate. In order for judicial, uh, judicial positions to be filled, they require Senate confirmation. The Senate Majority Leader singularly decides what the Senate votes on. Right? So the system, like you were saying, Reggie, is designed that one person cannot take control. Nevertheless, the president. Nevertheless, a single senator. That is not what the Senate was built for on—it's not its purpose— but McConnell doesn't care about norms, like you were talking about, and all he cares about is power. And with a quick history lesson, I'll try to make this as efficient as possible, but the demographics in this country have been changing for the last 50 years dramatically. It has become a more black and brown country, and Republicans, uh, who are predominantly white and predominantly white men, who built this country by force, came here, took Native American lands... Etc. Etc. all the way through slavery, 13th Amendment, imprisonment, mass incarceration, it's all tied together. 13th is a very useful documentary on Netflix if you'd like to learn more. Country built on white supremacy by white people for white people. And they realized about 50 years ago, if we keep going with this democracy thing where everyone's actually represented, we're never going to win again. So we have two choices. One, we can moderate our views to actually be representative of the people. Or we can pick a branch of government that's not elected and try to take control that way, which is what they did. They made their entire goal to take over the judiciary, which is why the Supreme Court seat that you've heard a lot about in the news is such a big deal. So the reason President Trump has been able to install more judges than any president in history is because Mitch McConnell not only did not give Merrick Garland, President Obama's nominee for the Supreme Court, with 10 months to go, almost a full quarter of his term when he was nominated remaining, a vote, He did the same thing with circuit court judges, federal appellate court judges, judges all up and down the judiciary. So all of a sudden there's a ton of openings and who knows what he would have done if Hillary was elected. He probably would have made up an excuse to not put her people in either because he knows the only way that his power can be maintained is if there is judges that can overturn laws that are supported by a mass number of the American people and as represented by the people that we elect. Twisted, right? Important to know, and this is ultimately leads to the answer to my or to the answer for me for my question. My understanding of public policy and power over the last four years has increased dramatically, and I think the most effective way I've found to combat the contortion of this power is to call out the game. Right now, Mitch McConnell, Trump is just a looney tune, right? Like he. He is a very rich man who would like to stay rich and is also desperate because he's committed a lot of felonies and does not want to go to prison, which is why he's willing to cheat to win oh, the election.
3: His wealth is questionable.
0: Well, <laughs> he gets to live as a, that's right, very yeah, well right, said. Right, right. He gets to live as a very rich man <laughs> yeah, okay. who has committed a lot of felonies <laughs> and is trying to stay out of prison. There right? we go. Part four of the, the New York Times tax story dropped uh, yesterday and there's a lot more details with lots more felonies and there were plenty in the first three. So, in order to ensure minority rule, they have acted this way and done that. If you call out the game, it's pretty easy to see, and it's pretty easy connect, to connect the dots, and it also is pretty easy to then understand what we need to do about it. So an analogy that I like a lot when it comes to politics, because not every, that is not a, an inherent implicit endorsement of everything the Democratic Party does, right? But what politics is and policy is is public transportation. It's not marriage. We're not signing up for life and we're not going, oh, I don't really like that. Uh, I don't know, like, that could really get annoying after a couple of years, right? How close to our goal can we get? It is public transportation. If I need to get from here to the other side of DC and it's not COVID, so we're not terrified of getting on the Metro and I don't have a car, am I just not going to go or am I going to take the train that takes me closest there? And then I have to do the work to get me where I want to go. Ultimately, and this leads into our next question, it is on us, the people who are represented, to push the politicians where we want them to go. Because we are in charge of their employment every two, four, or six years. Local all the way up to the presidency. And that is true under the current rules. We're trying to make sure that we win this next election in not just the presidency, but the Senate, and maintaining the House so that those rules can be solidified and not just be norms, but be put into law, because otherwise we might not have any more elections, and that's like a real threat. So, ultimately, the question then becomes, how do we make sure that we finish the work, that we don't relax whenever these... Results come out, which leads me to question about protest. How is your understanding of protest and the power of protest in the streets, online, in any way that you can think of, changed in the last four years, in the last six months?
2: I think um, recently protests have been very positive. Um, Reason being is not only does it like obviously voice your opinion on what you feel is wrong, but it sheds light on on things that aren't happening and aren't necessarily right. And um, I think a lot of people with protests, they go in with the intent of, I want to go. I want to let my voice be heard. We want to make sure you know, we shut stuff down so people hear our voice. Um, over the past few months, I've actually participated in a lot more protests than I ever thought I would. Um, before, I would go on the news, and i look at protests, and you see people out rioting and you know throwing stuff through windows, and people just going crazy. And I'll be like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'll just sit at home and, you know, type stuff up on the computer or something like that. But recently I felt a lot more empowered to go out to protest. Um, I can't say I've been to some which have been really productive. Um, they have a really clear message. You can hear exactly what the people are trying to say. And they're making steps after the protest is over. So not just protesting and going home and just going about the business, but actually having some follow-up afterwards. Um, that leads them to achieve their goal. And then I've been to a couple protests where I'm like, I don't know what the hell is happening right now. Like one side is talking about women's rights. Another part is talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter. And it's all this clusterfuck of nothingness and nothing gets accomplished. So I think protests are, are very important. I think recently they've been a lot more important for people's verses to get heard. I just think when you are going to participate in a protest or you do want to lead one, you got to have a, a, a clear and concise message and B, you can't just say I want to go protest and not have a plan for after um, whatever protest you're going to participate in. You got to make sure you have the plan in place to make sure you have a safe protest and people you're protesting with have common sense and they're not just out trying to cause trouble, and then B, you have to have a follow-up plan to make sure whatever you're protesting starts to get implemented. So um, I think the protests, especially recently, have been huge um, to really help, I mean, Black Lives Matter, You know. Whether it's women's rights or rights for any community, you know what I mean. I, I think it's really important, but I just make you need to make sure you have the, the right message and the right follow up plan afterwards.
3: Go ahead. Rich. Yeah. Um, so, you know, protests. I think I think they're great. I, I love to see them. Um, I think they are cathartic for those people that are there. Um, we're there for a reason. Obviously, we're passionate about the issue. Um, one of the challenges with them is that. They're often interpreted different ways in the media, and so um, a protest in Washington or a protest someplace else um, can be captured in the media in a different way. And as as I was sitting here listening to Craig talk about what we can do to change, Virginia is a pretty liberal state, as is D.C. And, and, and Maryland. And um, th- the issue is that you know half of the country. Is seeing a different reality and so when they see these protests um the coverage of it is slanted and it just is more divisive uh so like i said i participate in them i i love to do it it feels good to, to get it out but i think what we need in addition to that is is a leader that brings people together and so like this crisis could have been used as well as the the pandemic could have been used to bring the nation together and that's typically what happens with wars and things, you think back to um, oh, what was it? Oh, it's nine eleven. Was probably that, the, the right. Like, one. So yeah. we, we used the nine eleven to bring the country together, right? And we need beyond the protests. We need a leader that's going to bring both sides together. Because again, like these protests are being interpreted. We talk about social media and how things are 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 seen in the media. You watch CNN, you get one story. You watch Fox News, you get another story. And it's and in seeing those protests makes the other side dig in even deeper you know what i'm saying and so it's it's a catch-22 like we get that that cathartic outlet from the protest um our politicians in our already liberal states see that and and it's reflected in, in their views but it doesn't necessarily hit home for people in other states and regions with different views and so we've got to figure out a way to to get on the same page
4: no, I just I'm going to build off that because it's almost as if the protests are polarizing. Exactly. Further polarizing what is meant, the intention is to unify and to understand and and to feel empowered as um, as an individual, even outside of politics, right? We're exercising our right. Um, and four years ago, it's it's interesting. I participated in the women's March in Boston, and I remember there was news coverage of the women's March in d c. And at the time, I didn't even know I was moving to D.C. And I remember thinking, "Wow, like I can only imagine what it's like by Lincoln Memorial." Now, fast forward, um, like I live right by Shaw U Street and Meridian Hill, which I recently found out is Malcolm X Park. There was a huge hub there when Black Lives Matter. All those protests really spiked up. Walked down 16th towards um, the White House, and it was interesting because I. Zoom out and I think the timing of COVID and BLM, I think is incredibly ironic because leave it in a world where there's no sports, no concerts, no nothing, you're at home. The only thing you can really do is just beyond, beyond plugged in. That's your only point of connection. And this is when we were in severe lockdown and then BLM and then George Floyd and we saw it. Everybody saw it. And then there was the opportunity to, to act on it. How did you feel? Like, what could you do? So insert protesting. And to Dre's point, there were different, um, uh, different populations represented in the protests, right? The, the media really hammered in. And, and I remember flipping back and forth CNN and Fox being like, the same story? How the hell are they portraying it? How the hell are they portraying it? And even it's as simple as the verbiage that they use, where it's, it's just the manipulation of the situation. I mean, it's politics. And I'm not political. I'm just a citizen, but I want to be informed. And I just remember thinking, like, man, like, if I were in this demographic, I am further rooting that. But if I'm in this demographic, I'm further rooting that. And it's just one of those, one of those things where I do, to your point, wish that this was a unified situation, why do I feel like I have to choose a side? We're talking about human people. Yep. So when it comes to protests, I exercised my right. I went out there with my teammates, made signs. But to, to the panelist's point, like action after, I remember looking up organizations after the fact. There was a one, one protest in particular that honored the lives that were lost and that's why I was there. But to your point, there have been protests where I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> okay, right. I feel safe as a woman, because I have to think about that too. Like, As a woman, do I feel safe? I didn't protest at night. I didn't feel safe. I needed, I needed to feel supported, and I needed to be responsible. But I wanted to do something. I wanted my voice to be heard, and I wanted to be in alliance with people that felt the same way.
0: So a quick follow-up just to the, the Fox News thing, and then I want to go... Uh, all the way back in ancient times, to like what you were talking about in 2016. Remember that world all three years ago, four years ago. Um, I actually, this was the topic of the other podcasts I do this week of people over politics. Um, the, the podcast is called chasing interesting. If you want a much longer version of this, but, um, what is happening right now is a fascinating look at what happens when you are more interested in your own narrative being correct than literally anything else. And the, Best example of this, or there's two amazing examples of this, and I'm sorry to put my pundit hat on for a second, but over the last week, right? You have the President of the United States test positive for COVID-19. And instead of doing what should have happened, and this, this is not a political statement in like the straw polls, like who's up, who's down. This is like just, I think, a very neutral fact-based statement. If a person is hopped up on drugs and incapable of thinking clearly, and there is a direct lieutenant and a system in place to allow someone else to take over something that is important. Like, if Alex could not run the day to day of Bash because she was on all kinds of steroids and whatever, and was also sick in a hospital with COVID 19, I would think you would let Monica do something for the day. Maybe. Maybe. Now, imagine that Makes Alex sense. is in charge of the nuclear codes. Oh my God. That's what happened. He was so like, they're so interested in their narrative that COVID is not this thing that needs to be worried about that instead of invoking the 25th amendment for the day or for a couple of days to let Mike Pence run the country, but let Mike Pence run the country for a couple of days, they were like, no, he is working and he's taking pictures, signing blank pieces of paper at Walter Reed. And the metadata, by the way, this is a hundred percent true. They were like, he's working all day. And they tweet out like a picture in the morning and a picture in the afternoon. They looked at the metadata. The photos were taken 10 minutes apart. They are so invested in their own narrative that they did that. By the same token, the vice presidential debate, okay, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, same thing, which people now know, polls at roughly 65, 70% approval. And Mike Pence is up there because they have for years been like, this is evil, this is terrible. And he's up there saying out loud, this is a bad thing, we're trying to destroy. It's like, you realize that no one agrees with you, right? But they are so interested in their own narrative being true that they are willing to commit political suicide. So I just thought that was like kind of a fascinating thing that happened this week. Um, and that goes to your like Fox News must do this narrative versus MSNBC like is always going to lean a little bit left, CNN you know, a little left, maybe down the middle. But it also, like where is center when right is so far in one direction, left is so far, whatever. Um, by the same token, words matter, right? The idea that the radical left, radical left wants health care for everybody and wants the government to provide it, which is something that is the case in almost every other Western nation in the world, yet that is deemed radical. Words matter. I just think that's, you know, interesting thing to stew on. Uh, In terms of protests, what I think I've learned in the last four years is that it matters. And it matters far beyond here. I remember in 2016 having a conversation, or early 2017 having a conversation with a friend of mine when and at this point I did not have the understanding I do now and I think the protest was in Seattle uh, and they had shut down a major highway and I'm like it's just, all you're doing is inconveniencing people, a lot of whom probably agree with you, it's like, what are you doing? What's the point? He goes, well, think about if you're watching that in Germany you're watching that in England, you're watching that in Belgium you're watching that in wherever else what it's telling people watching around the world is, hey yes, they voted to put Trump in office, we all did that most of us did not vote for him, but collectively, America, we did that. But it doesn't mean we all agree with it, and we don't agree with the things that he's doing. And that's an important message to send to the rest of the world, not to mention if you're Sean, right, and you're participating in the Women's March in Boston, and you see another one in D.C., and another one in New York, and another one in Little Rock, Arkansas, and another one in you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to know I'm not alone. And so with the Muslim ban... Specifically, again, ancient times, pre-COVID, all the way four years ago. The protests in response to that said, like, we're not standing for this shit. And all of a sudden it went away. That pressure matters. The protests around health care is why Obamacare did not get overturned. Because straight up, the people rejected it. And if there's one thing Congress people like most, it's maintaining their jobs. And they knew, if they voted against that, that they were screwed. And I will give John McCain, who has voted for many policies that are bad, uh, despite being an American war hero and worthy of praise for a lot of reasons, has also voted for a lot of policies that are bad. Not everyone is on a good-bad binary always in the same place. What he did took courage. Going up, thumbs down. But he was ultimately representing the people. He did his job. So what I, what I think about, what I've, what I've really appreciated about protests and come to appreciate over the last... Whether it's six months, seeing a lot of protests against police brutality, and seeing changes in police departments all over the country, or the last four years, and some of the bigger things that have happened on a policy standpoint, is that protest works. And it's not always pretty, but I go back to my favorite Martin Luther King quote, which is from his 1964 letter from a Birmingham jail. Some of you familiar with this? Know where I'm going? The biggest impediment to racial equality is not the Klan member. It is the white moderate who is more concerned with order than justice. Focus on the justice. Do not focus on the order. Yes, sometimes protests are very sloppy and all over the place, but we make the, we make the choice individually to foc- of what we want to focus on. Focus on what is trying to be accomplished and help push it. Don't get distracted by a couple people throwing rocks through windows. Uh, last question for me, and then I'd love to take two questions from you guys. Um, what are some things you have done outside of politics to use your platform and your gifts to affect change and create the world you want to live in?
2: First again, let's go. All right. So, um, (laughs) since we're at bash, I'll, I'll speak on that first. Um, as soon as the George Floyd incident happened, um, one thing that I was really excited about it, and um, as you guys know, Mon is my girlfriend. Hey, girl, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> Alex reached out to uh, Mon and I and Nick, and uh, the first thing they said was, hey, like we really want to do something to um, help raise money. We really don't know where to go, and they really reached out to us and um, you know asked us to be like a resource as to like what we could do in order to raise awareness, A, and then raise money to help support um, people who are affected by that, which was really cool, which is another reason why I love working for Bash. And um, so, Mon and I, we participated in a class. We helped to raise, what, over like $6,000 um, off of just one class alone, which was awesome. Um, I know Mon and I both participated in a um, half marathon. Um, again, we helped to raise money for several organizations related to the Black Lives Matter cause. Um, with that half marathon, um, with a, a different studio, we were able to raise over $40,000 collectively as a group. Um, since then, um, uh, thank y'all. I turned up. Yeah. Um, since then, um, I, I feel like both of us, in, in some way or another, have been like very vocal about how we feel about things that are happening out in our community. Um, like I said, here at Bash, we have our diversity council here, and we meet on a regular basis to discuss what we can do. Um, one of the things I would like to do moving forward is like really help impact the youth. I feel like, um, in order for change to really occur, like we can't just focus on the present and focus on all our adults. We got to make sure that we're grooming our youth to make correct decisions and really feel um, proud of who they are, whether they're male, female, Asian, or whatever the case may be. Really feel proud and want to work towards a cause to um, bring awareness of how great that they are. So I would love to like introduce more boxing and strengthening and conditioning to um, lower income areas and minorities just to help promote positivity in our communities. And then I'm hoping that, you know, by other seeing me putting in some work, even if they aren't as vocal or they don't want to be as active, they still feel empowered to do something, Whereas, to give a little bit of money or give a little bit of time, do something because every little bit matters. So um, I mean, I think overall, I've been a lot more vocal. I've helped to raise money for several different organizations and just overall, I just feel more empowered to really want to make a change in our communities. So um, yeah, that's it.
0: All right, Reg.
3: Yeah, so um, you know, I'm just one, one man, right? Um, no, my uh, impact, I think, has been more at a grassroots level, and so whether it's discussions like this um, with people, discussions at work with coworkers, um, and as Dre said, like, and I was talking to, I, I believe your name is Jason in the back uh, with F forty five. Gotta nail that. Um, <laughs> you know, a big a big part of um, what I'd like to do longer term is get into like mentorship, and so I was telling uh, Jason how. Um, you know, before this happened, my plan was to to walk away from Wall Street in 2021, and I would be full time boombox. And then I wanted to get into more actively mentoring, um, particularly black men, young young black uh, black males. And so it's something that I do now informally. Um, it's very fulfilling. It's you know a way for me to kind of give back and pay it forward. And so that's you know it's something I've been doing prior to this, uh, but it's near and dear to my heart and just you know mentoring people, whether it's uh, hiring a high school kid to work my front desk and just showing him black entrepreneurship up 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 close and personal, um, talking to him about college and things like that and so my my things have been more on, at a grassroots uh, personal level um, but it takes you know all types you know all um all efforts so. no doubt
4: I think. Majority of my efforts have been through the team for now. Um, but even in saying that, I am, like I said, still proud that we are taking a stance. Um, I, Like I mentioned earlier, we were able to do a podcast that covered social justice. But within the Washington Fo- football team organization, I'm also part of BEN, the Black Engagement Network. And we have kind of subgroups. There's a policy group, youth, um, and different focus areas where the money actually had come from the top came from our leadership so that we could execute on these town halls that we had and discussions that we had when black lives when black lives matter kicked off george floyd and that was you know what we needed to talk about um, and being able to use that as a platform and for what you mentioned at the very beginning breaking out of the cheerleader box now we're focusing on what are we saying? How are we using our platform? Because we know you have we have your attention or we have an interesting population's attention. Now we're having the opportunity to actually voice some of the things that we feel because, well, you look at us and we have our white cheerleaders, we have our Hispanic, we have our Asian, we have our black. But what do we all have to say about that, right? And so I think with Ben and with my team, that's where a lot of my angst and my focus and my action has been through. And even, honestly, even just being on this panel, um, Humans Not Hashtags, and having conversations day to day. I am having conversations day to day that I would never before. And whether that's the opportunity, maybe it's just because it's about time that we have these conversations. Maybe that's, it just all caught up to us. But yeah, from a, I'm just but a simple Asian girl too. So, you know, I'm just trying to have some... That's but it's not, it's not
0: just, right? It's like, okay, this is who I am, and now I'm going to give it to the world. And so like, that's why I asked the question the way I did. Like, how do you use your gifts, your place, your platform, whatever it is? So like, for Dre, it's like, I am very, very good at boxing and strength and conditioning. Same thing for you, Reds, right? So I want to take that thing and use it as a force for good. You've got little girls that are going to look up to you, because you are a cheerleader that think that's the coolest shit that they have ever seen in their whole life, and then you can show them that it's not just waving a pom-pom, right? Like, yeah, dance can be super fulfilling. Like, I've never met a cheerleader who didn't love to dance. Like, it is, it is a form of expression that is gratifying. That I'm not trying to mitigate that. Again, it's a full human, right?
4: Actually, can I tell a fun story, speaking of... Gratifying. No, I hate fun.
0: Right?
4: <laughs> just to kind of wrap it with a protest, too, so... We have our junior Redskins cheerleaders that range from our itty-bitty, oh, my God, sassy little, we call them our angels, to middle school, high
0: school. You have to love a sassy angel.
4: Oh, so cute. You're like, what the heck you just say to me? And you're just like, all right, all right, sounds good. You stick there with your pom-pom, and I'll stick here with mine. But it was interesting because when a couple of the girls were out um, in the protests, we bumped into one of our junior Redskins cheerleaders. She looked at us, and we looked at her, and she was like you could just see the awe in her eyes of like wow like these are my role models and they are out here too and i'm out here too so the hope generationally it, you you got it in regards to like that where is where the change is 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 the future is the kids
3: real quick craig you um and it's a, it's an expression that we use often like sharing it with the world and i think when we say that we um it may be a little intimidating. Like, like what you have to be doing is, is like so magnificent that it's touching right, millions right. of lives. And and really if each of us can touch two lives, right? Like that's literally all it takes. Like we don't have to share with the whole world. We can share with two people and those two people share with two people. And so like, don't feel like that pressure that what you're doing has to be, you know, super grand. You know what I mean? Like it could be, if you can touch three people and if everybody did that, like we would be so much better off. And so I know we use that as a term, but like, yeah, let's be facts. careful about about you
0: know putting that that pressure of. Uh, Some guy up here said language matters a couple minutes ago. I should listen to him. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. But it actually leads exactly into what I was going to talk about. So, um, sorry, going to name drop, but uh, sports fans in the room, ESPN fans, y'all know Clinton Yates. Okay, uh, Clinton's a guy who grew, lived here in D.C., grew up in D.C. He happens to be one of my best friends, and Clinton will always just beat me over the head, beat me over the head. Talk to your people. Talk to your people. Talk to your people. So for me, the answer to that question is around, is around education and conversation. Education, communication, however you want to phrase it. First, I need to learn. We are way more segregated than we realize. Um, think of the neighborhood you grew up in. How many people that didn't look like you lived there? Chase is holding up a big old zero. I grew up in a huge subdivision in South Carolina um, in the suburbs. Like I, have People of all different backgrounds at my school. Um, it was a fairly diverse area for South Carolina in the 1990s and early 2000s. But my neighborhood, I was trying to think about this a couple weeks ago when I thought about this for the first time, and I'm fairly sure there were no black families there. It's not an intentional thing my parents did. They weren't like, ah, we're scared of black people. Let's not move in that neighborhood. It just is what happens. We are still far more segregated than we realize. So what you need to be able to ask yourself is, are you, especially, I'm talking to white people here, I'm talking to quote-unquote, my people here, right? Are you in a position where you have black friends that trust you in a way that you can have real conversations? Do you actually know what's going on in their lives? Are they giving you the sanitized version to keep you comfortable? And if so, um, it's not great for you because you have not presented them to them in a way that has earned their trust. And unfortunately, and I'll let Dre and Reggie um, touch on this if if you all want to, but... Y'all know that there are certain people you just can't have certain conversations with. Like, it's not, it's not worth it. You can't trust them. It's not going to land. So what has happened over the course of time is you don't even bother wasting your time. So there's kind of that literal white America, black America, where there are literally two Americas. So education on the receiving end which also should not have to just come from talking to black people. It is not black people's responsibility or people of color in general, right? I shouldn't have to ask Sean what the Asian experience is. There is a ton of literature. There's a ton of documentaries. There's a ton of stuff. It is not people of color, black indigenous people of color's responsibilities to educate us white people on all the atrocities that we have done to them over the last 400 years since we showed up on the shore. Go do your own work. So there's that education piece. And then take what you learn and realize that those same people that Dre and Reggie might not be able to reach because they're not gonna listen to a black man, just straight up it is what it is, that I might be able to because I'm white. So it's my responsibility then to have that conversation. And so for me, I I think that's how I would answer that question of communication is what I do, is what I went to school for, it is what I've been good at since I was little. I'm very lucky in that way because we all have to communicate. And so it is my responsibility to not rest on that gift, to not rest on that privilege, and to have conversations, um, whether it is small one-on-one conversations or in a more give-to-the-world, larger platform, something like this, a podcast, Twitter, whatever it may be. Uh, let's get two questions from the audience. Snicky, your hand, shout up. So go ahead. I'll repeat the question in the mic so you can just shout it. In summary, the question is, how do we draw the line and where do we draw the line between identifying someone who is – excellent at what they do as being black and excellent at what they do and it not being a negative it being a point of pride but also just not having to make that acknowledgement in the first place and do strictly say they're excellent at what they do
3: um so i mean i think it's a good question i think um in the case of chanel like chanel was with amex ceo for i don't know how many long time right he retired i think four or five years ago like after 20 years, like, he shouldn't be referred to as a, black like, CEO. Like, that's, he's a CEO at that point, right? I will say this. Um, one thing that really surprised me uh, when we opened and even before we opened was that there was a huge sense of, like, black pride in us, right? And so people were like, oh, man, I love what you and Angela are doing. Um, we're so inspired by you guys opening this gym. And I, I did not expect that. Like, it totally caught me off guard. Like, we've... Um, We've become you know a sense of pride for people as as uh again, like entrepreneurs, you can do this. Um, and so at some point it may I may feel like you do, where it's like I don't want to be seen as a as a black CEO. I love the fact of black business owner entrepreneur. I love the fact that that young black people see me as that though right now. you know what I'm saying like i it, I think it's important to see those images and, and to hear those stories. And so, like, I'm not at that point where I'm, I'm tired of being a black business owner. Um, and when it becomes a norm, it'll then we, then we won't have to... I, I hope we get to the point where it's no longer seen that way. But right now, um, it's seen that way because there's a reason for it, I think. And so I don't feel that way just yet.
2: Thanks for the question. I, um, I agree with Reggie. I, I honestly think it's awesome um, that people look at someone like Reggie as a a black owner of a business, like I said before, like, I'm really all about youth empowerment. So I really think it's good for younger people who look like Reggie to see someone who's in an area of power really um, making positive moves. I mean, I'm sure Alex can speak to this too, being a um, female CEO of Bash Boxing. I mean, she can pretty much say the same thing. I don't think Alex ever gets tired of hearing, oh, she's a female owner of a boxing studio which is very rare. Um, I think it's awesome to have that title put on her name as well um, because it shows that you don't have to be um, an ex-pro fighter to own a boxing gym or you don't have to be a white male um, to be a CEO of an organization. I think putting that extra label there um, can serve a positive purpose and I mean obviously there's a huge gray area there like I'm sure Craig can be like, yeah, I'm a white owner of a podcast. It's not going to come off quite the same way, so um and that's okay, yeah and that, and like, it that's is, a really important point <laughs> to make is like, You're supposed like to have a podcast right. <laughs> like as that's okay as it is I mean the, these are the times that we're living in, but at the same time, like I feel like you can take a positive trait about a person and put that before their name and then not dilute um the importance of their position or. What it is that they're aiming to achieve. So, I mean, I think it's awesome that we can refer to Reggie as a, a black CEO or you know um, any position like that. I think I think it's a great idea.
0: So, to add some, not that y'all needed any a white guy to then add on to that. So, good job, dumbass. But uh, to add some historical context, right? Um, for years in this country, white has been default. Right. It goes back to what I said earlier about this was a country founded by white men for white men on a basis of white supremacy. It just is. Like, that's, that's not a controversial statement. It just is. And so in order to write that, some of these things need to be said. Malcolm X has an amazing quote on this, which is, if you stab me with a nine-inch knife and pull it out six, that is not progress. Progress is healing the wound. And so what saying that Dre or Reggie is black and excellent is doing is associating black and excellence as things that are not mutually exclusive Because forever in this country, that was the case, especially in the white world, that you could not be both black and excellent. That is obviously insane. Same thing is true with like female CEO. For years, that was not a thing. Women couldn't own land. Women couldn't do a lot of stuff. Women couldn't vote. Like we're less than a hundred or basically at a hundred years of women being able to vote in this country. For black women and black people, 1965 is when it was really solidified with the Voting Rights Act. That's not that long ago. So we are still in the process of, I don't even know if, I don't even think the knife is out yet, nevertheless, healing the damage. So if you stab me with a nine inch knife, pulling it out six is not progress. So there's going to be work that needs to be done to elevate, to make up for the damage that has been done to heal the wound. And from my perspective. I don't want to speak for y'all because y'all don't need me to speak for y'all. That is how I see that, is that this is the work that is being done to heal the wound. And it's important to associate black and excellent because that has not been the default of America. Next or last question uh, from the room. And whoever asks it gets a gift bag from Lee's Flower Shop. That's not fake. Like, you actually get a gift bag from Lee's Flower Shop.
2: Well, I read you like, we get
0: <laughs> luckily for you nick we have two so question. yes you do who's got who's got one more question what's that what's your name first laura. laura thanks for coming what's your question so again repeating for the podcast ways to integrate activism and fitness so in a leadership role
3: one of the things and I, I think craig mentioned it at the beginning so the beauty with fitness is that like after a workout, like, you, you get that endorphin rush, right? And there's that, that moment where you can connect with people. And it's, like, amazing. Like, we – it's not every week, but, like, sometimes I just – something hits me, and I'm, I'm talking to my, my class, and it's and – it's, you'll have that opportunity if you're in the fitness space, like, where if it's genuine to you and you're feeling it that day, and, like, you just had this great class and everybody's on this high, like, you can definitely drive home some, some, um, some mindfulness or whatever it is, activism – whatever it is you want to want to do. And so I think fitness is a great platform for doing that, for bringing people together, um, particularly group fitness. Uh, so I'd say you def- you'll definitely have that opportunity uh, for sure uh, as you, as you kind of.
0: Just to expand on that real quick, um, the, the point that you were referencing, and then I would love for both of y'all to, to hop in on this. Um, I believe the psychologist that I got that from was a guy named Adam Grant. Um, who's really, really smart, and I've got a lot of good stuff from him over the years. But uh, he, the, the, the thought goes, and the research goes, that if people go through something hard together, there is a bond that is formed that is fairly unbreakable. It is why if people who have never uh, met before were to, say, survive a plane crash, or like the Chilean miners a couple years ago, right, a lot of those... They may not have had any kind of real relationship before then, but they are bonded for life over this incredibly tough experience. It is why escape rooms have become incredibly... Well, before, you know, we weren't allowed to be in a room together. But escape rooms had become a very, very common work bonding activity because they're hard. And in order to, to get through it and be successful, you had to go through something hard together. And so that's actually the genesis of Sweat Talk Vote was... We picked some places that can kick our butt pretty good. In our first Sweat Talk vote event, Jason ran a boot camp that I was dipping in and out of because I was like, I'm very tired and I'm going to pretend that I'm setting up for the panel. Uh, Class today was fantastic and it was hard. And and so we all felt like when we sat down, even though I don't know most people in this room, we felt a bond together. And so I think fitness naturally gives itself to that. And so to use that common, guys, we always talk about, oh, we have more in common than we do that separates us. Fitness is a thing that brings people together. And I think that inherently, um, inherently leads us to a place where we can develop a strong bond and feel safe having conversations like the one we're having right now.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with uh, Reggie and Craig here. I mean, like, Fitness, I mean, if you come take a bash class or I'm taking a class at Boombox, it's hard as shit. Like, you get walk out of there, you're <laughs> tired, and everybody who suffered there with you, you all felt like you're a team. Um, speaking specifically to your question, I can relate because um, 2019, I completely quit corporate America. Like I used to work as a patient liaison, hated my job. I hated the healthcare industry. I felt like it was a really shitty place to be, um, and I was coaching part-time at that point, and I made a decision, like, I don't want to do this anymore. My passion is in fitness, and I just made the leap. Um, From there, when you start trying to push your own personal agendas, or like if if you want to really give back to community and be an activist, I would say the most important thing to remember is just to be patient. Um, I think a lot of times people take on too many responsibilities at once, so they're trying to wear 20 different hats. So you know, I want to volunteer in this organization, and I want to donate here, and I want my team to do this. I think have one specific focus, have one specific goal, if that goes well then continue down that path and maybe start adding stuff on along there. But don't feel like you're in a rush to try to, um, you know, set up your fitness career and be this great representative while also trying to give back. Like, you got to make sure you're secure first and make sure you're comfortable in the fitness role. And then from there, start to slowly expand into other avenues. Um, And then you never know where it can take you. Like, I feel like I'm still in a point now where I'm trying to figure out what's my next step. I mean, um, I'm trying to be as active as I can while also maintaining a strong like, you know, uh, fitness career. So, I mean, it can be difficult, but at the same time, if your heart is in the right place, um, you'll go exactly where you wanna be. So, I think it's just a matter of being patient and just making sure you pick and choose what you wanna do and um, not taking on too much at once.
0: John, you have anything you wanna add?
4: Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, good luck. That's really exciting, but um, it can also be scary. But uh, for me, when I think about fitness communities, it's community. Right, And I take group fitness classes like candy, um, love working out, and I use it for my mental health too. But also what keeps me coming back is community. So if you cultivate a community and have conversations after your classes where you are beat up, sweating, but your brain is just in that space where you can kind of capitalize and, and kind of feel out that rawness in, in different aspects, I think that you might be you might find something special there and you can cultivate connection with um, your brand and the people that you connect with.
0: I'll wrap that uh, with a payoff to a promise I made to Alex earlier. I'm going to brag on Alex. Um, I think authenticity goes a long way. This place doesn't work without her because it's an embodiment of her. It's an embodiment of the authenticity. If she gets up here doing her introduction saying, we're about inclusiveness and y'all are like, hell no, I hate that white girl. Like, (laughs) That doesn't work. She lives it every single day. And so if you're someone who's going to take the time out of their Sunday to come to an event like this and engage in this way, that says something about you. That says something about who you are, what you stand for, what you think is important. So if you let that authenticity drive you, you should be just fine. Because people see through bullshit really quick. There's a lot of people that were really performative after George Floyd was murdered we're like I'm going to post a black square on Instagram it's like great what else? what else and do you know why you're posting a black square not just because a black person was killed by police and this one was so bad that even the president was like hey that was bad right do you have a deeper understanding are you putting in the time all that stuff you are so let that drive you and trust your gut and uh, also it seems like you're a part of this community so I'm sure there's plenty of people that will be willing to help you along the way um, with that can i say something yeah absolutely so um so what i want to thank you guys for coming out and and
3: hearing us on the panel and as i look out um you know obviously it's a pretty white crowd out here right and craig talked about um you know what are we doing and you know i think kind of goes back to the um share your gift with the world idea like recognizing that like this doesn't change overnight right and so I don't want you guys to walk out of here feeling like the burden of having to correct this all by yourself. I think the first stage is just kind of empathizing and understanding that, like, you know, maybe Dre and I have a different reality than you. Right. And so you start there and then you kind of build up like the last thing I want you to do is leave here feeling like, oh, my God, I got this 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 obligation. And it's okay just to empathize right now, you know, and then and then there's a next stage. I don't know what that stage is called, but like don't feel that pressure that you got to change the world tomorrow, you know. And so empathy leads to being an ally and then, then we get change going. You know what I'm saying? So that's my, my, uh, my little
0: parting comment or whatever. You know, I love it. That's a great place to end unless Dre or Sean wants to, to add anything to it. That was superb. Yeah, I love it. Yep, I agree. You, thank, thank you. you. Um, with that, thank you to our panel. Thank y'all.
2: <laughs> Last thing, uh, if you guys want to follow with any of us. Instagrams, go. LaCadre is my full name. L-A-C-A-D-R-E. Don't laugh at me, Nick. But yeah, you can look me up on Instagram um, and I'll follow you back. I'm pretty nice. Brooklyn underscore Globetrotter uh, is myself. And then Boombox is Boombox underscore Boxing.
0: Check us both out. Um, Give us a follow. Shout us out. All right, thank you. Sean.
4: At Sean Rachel.
0: And I am at Craig underscore Hoffman. I would love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for coming and uh, hope to see you back here soon. Thank you all.